You're listening to episode 56 of the Poolside Podcast, and I'm your host, Rachel Anthony. Thanks for tuning in to another fun interview. I know you're going to like this one. And thank you to everyone who listened to the last solo episode. Let me know on Instagram or through an email how you feel about the solo episodes and if you like them, if you want to see more, what you want to hear about, if you have questions, really anything, send me a DM. That would be great. I'll get back to you. The Instagram is Poolside Digital. Or if you follow me on my personal Instagram, almost famous with two Fs. For today's episode, I interviewed Salima, who works for Humanology, which is a charity that promotes empathy and inclusion. And one of the ways they do it is through sharing human stories, mostly through film. They've done a ton of films that you can find on their website, but they also have a podcast, a blog, and of course, an Instagram. And they also just recently opened a social enterprise gallery and store where they have their own clothing brands and all the profits from that store help fund their fund their charitable work. So they have quite the variety of outlets to find more information about their work, see who they're working with and the stories they're sharing and also help fund some of these projects and give back to the charity and the community and if you're wondering what a charity that promotes empathy even means that was my first question when Salima reached out to me but she does a great job of explaining what empathy is how the charity is built around it and really why we need more empathy in this world and if you are living in Calgary empathy week is June 1st to 7th which is if you're listening to this when this episode comes out just a couple weeks away so she explains more what it is and some of the events that are coming up but make sure you check out the website and the events that are happening in Calgary for empathy week so let's get into it Salima will do a better job of explaining what humanology is and a little bit about who she is how she got involved and what the future of the charity looks like Welcome back to the podcast. I am sitting here with Salima from Humanology. Is it Humanology now or Humanology? Yeah, it's kind of tricky. People often ask that question, but it's Humanology and it's actually derived from the French word, which I'm going to totally say (laughs) incorrectly, human, um, which means human and humane at the same time. So Tricky. Yeah. (laughs) Um, sitting with Salima and like we just mentioned her company but do you want to start with just introducing yourself and telling us three fun random facts just to get going totally <laughs> forgot to prepare for that part of the conversation but uh, three fun random facts um, I love taking baths that's a really random thing to start with but it's true I only ever shower at hotels um, I live in the Calgary community of Inglewood. I've recently moved here and I love it. I love being close and connected to the river in particular. It's the first time in my life that I feel like I have a relationship with the natural body of water. Uh, And seeing as I'm on the topic of you know, water here. Um, I also was born right by the water in a town called Tweed Heads in Australia, which is a beautiful little beach town just south of Surface Paradise. Cool. 
That, and I'm sure it's much warmer there right now than it is, than <laughs> I think it is it's here. always <laughs> much warmer there, but anyway. Uh, how long did you live there for, or when did you move to Canada? I moved to Canada when I was 17, so I just finished high school, and my family immigrated here, and initially we were in Vancouver, and then uh, later I moved to Calgary in order to go to law school here at the UFC. Cool, and here we are. You're still here. <laughs> yeah, I tried to escape multiple times yeah. and never had success <laughs> at least you enjoy you have the water and you can yes, you know yeah embrace it <laughs> uh so let's talk about humanology do you want to just give a short little elevator pitch for what it is well humanology is a charity we were established about a decade ago but in the past four years um, we've really tried to focus ourselves uh, around uh, empathy and inclusion and how that applies to each of us individually in our lives. So a big part of what we do is sharing human stories. So we've created a whole bunch of films where we've attempted to um, really allow people to step into the shoes of someone else, especially someone pretty different from them in order to kind of understand a little bit more about who they are and their experience of the world so that we can promote empathy and then hopefully create a community and a society that's more inclusive. Cool, and when did that start? In 2015, we started our first film series, Under an Umbrella We Met, and what was unique about that film series is that folks could step into the shoes, like the actual worn shoes of the person that they were viewing in the film. So by doing this, we wanted to create a more tangible, more visceral connection between the viewer and the subject in the film. So to date, we've now created three of these particular film series. One was called Faces of Islam. Uh, the second one was Indigenous Youth Voices. And right now we're working on non-conforming gender identities. So in each of those series, you get to meet uh, people who connect with that particular label or identifier and you get to sort of see beyond the label and beyond the identifier and we really try to focus in on what it is that just makes that person human and what it is that we can all kind of find in common and connect with. That's cool. I feel like there's not a lot of people doing that, especially in Calgary. Well, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I've, from what I know, you know, we're uh, one of the very few charities that are focusing on this work of empathy and inclusion and doing it through art. And uh, while a lot of our work has been through the medium of film, we also work with a whole bunch of different media. Um, a couple of years ago, we did a theatre show. We've also been working quite a bit with um, journalism and photography. We partner with the Humans of Calgary a lot. And, uh, and in addition, we've been working with some visual artists here in Calgary, especially now that we've opened our new gallery and store on 17th, well, just off 17th Avenue Southwest. Um, and in that space, we're sharing our films, sharing voices and art from the community. And uh, we also have a bunch of apparel and other products that have kind of good, good stories connected with them. A lot of them are giving back to the community in different ways or using ethical fabrics and fibers. And so we just opened about a month ago and uh, yeah, really excited about it. Yeah, and so let's go back a little bit because you're a lawyer. And this is a very different thing than a normal lawyer job. So how did you go from law school here 
to where we are today. Like, can you share that journey? Sure, yeah. No, I always wanted to be involved in the not-for-profit sector, and I first sat on a board of directors when I was about 21 and living in Vancouver, and that was really my first introduction um, to being involved um, with the charity. And, uh, you know, surprisingly, I sat on the law school's admission committee when I was at the University of Calgary as a law student. And it's really surprising the number of people that go to law school who say, like, I want to do human rights law. I want to give back to the community. Um, But it's pretty tricky making that jump uh, from practicing, say, in a firm, which is kind of the path that we're led towards into um, practicing in a non-typical legal setting or something that actually um, even doesn't have a whole lot to do with the law but where our transferable skills are still still come in handy. So for me, I uh, practiced for a few years in a law firm here in Calgary, which was a great experience, but I knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And after that, I was able to make a jump over to an organization called Vibrant Communities Calgary, which works in advocacy and poverty reduction. And I was there for a little bit and then went over to the Calgary Homeless Foundation as general counsel, so practicing strictly law again. And and then following that, I uh, got my role with Humanology and the Calgary Center for Global Community um, as the CEO. So um, I've really enjoyed being in the charitable sector. Uh, For me personally, I don't think it's everyone's cup of tea, but for me personally, it feels really good to um, be able to dedicate myself to work where I know that um, something something good is happening um, because of what we're doing. And, uh, and so this particular role with humanology is something I especially connect with because we're working in the area of anti-discrimination and inclusivity and having grown up myself um, in Australia in the late 70s um, as a minority, uh, that's something that I have lived experience connected with. Um, Australia wasn't really a super inclusive community at that time. It's come a long way since then, but even still it's behind. Um, you know, with gay marriage only recently being legalized, which blows my mind. Um, And so, yeah, there are different experiences that I had as a child um, that I think make it really easy for me to connect with what humanology is doing. Right. No, and I like that. And then you can really tell that your, your work will come through what you're doing because you do have that like extra passion towards it yeah I think that it's just one of those things right when you really get something when you've lived through something or have some kind of connection or experience with it it just makes it so much easier for you to talk genuinely and authentically about it having said that you know we connect with so many different people in our work and many of them have far-reaching experiences that don't even come close to you know my own and um and you know I, my eyes are opened um constantly you know when I meet with someone you know say who um is trans or uh someone who um practices a faith that I haven't really had any kind of exposure to or comes from a cultural group that is really different from my own you know I I I can't say that oh like I totally get it I'm still learning and I'm still understanding different perspectives all the time right when I think it's important even for people who don't like for myself personally I've been lucky enough not to like I grew up here 
middle class white girl like it's very standard and basic and so it's good to have an opportunity to have that education awareness to bring it especially now I feel like with social media and there's so many issues that are coming up uh with like the transgender community and just like making sure everyone feels inclusive and so I think this is an awesome movement that will go forever because we, we need that education uh and so on your website there's a tell us your story section and so I was reading it and I was like oh, I should ask her the same question because it's a good like lead up question to really like get to know you more than you just shared a lot but to keep moving on that so the website quoted from the website it says there are things we can do all the time to remind each other we belong we are valued we are part of this great and diverse human family tell us about something small or big that you did or that happened to you where the result was a sense of connection belonging or the recognition of our shared humanity do you want to answer the question sure. tell us your story <laughs> you know it's funny like as humans I think that we always feel like we have to share something super significant or impressive and as I was thinking about this strangely the first thing that came to my mind was something really small and somewhat insignificant um, but strangely I have remembered it all of this time and and sometimes I think it is the accumulation of all of these small experiences that really impacts us in the most profound or kind of um, I would say significant way altogether and so yeah this is something that happened to me I had gone traveling probably for about uh, a long stint of like six or eight months and when I came back I went back to my regular coffee shop to order my drink and I'm one of those really annoying people that has like five or six different things that I need <laughs> my drink to be and so when I went to order the barista who was there was someone who was there before I left and she sort of looked at me and said that's not your order <laughs> and I said oh really it isn't and she's like no and she said blah 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 blah, blah. this is your order and I was like oh yeah you're right thank you thank you and I was kind of blown away that like I hadn't been there for you know more than half a year she's got heaps of customers and you know she happens to remember you know not just me but also the um, higher maintenance requirements of my drink uh, even better than I could and it's just stuff like that right that makes you feel recognized makes you feel part of this human family and it's such a small thing but I think when those things happen in our day-to-day -day life, those interactions that we have sometimes with random people or strangers or people we don't even know that well, it just contributes to um, you know, making us feel less isolated because so many people feel isolated. And sometimes even when we've got family and friends around us, we can feel isolated. Um, so yeah, that's... That's my, my little like share. It. Yeah, it's always, I find it always very impressive when people remember things like that. And you're just like, oh. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it really is touching, right? It, it is. Yeah. And it's a good reminder to pay more attention to other people mm -hmm, as well. So that you can sure. be the person that remembers, like, their daughter's birthday or just, like, something that had happened. Yes. You know, because it does, like, make someone's day. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, this is kind of a multifaceted question, but do you want to just start with explaining the definition of empathy and how it differs from sympathy, which I know is a very like basic thing, but I feel like people sometimes can get them confused about that and then um, dive a little deeper into why that's the focus of the business and what it really means to you. 
so there's lots of different definitions out there, both for empathy and sympathy. Um, for me, I often like to explain empathy just as the ability to step into someone else's shoes. Um, other definitions, like Brené Brown um, says it's something like feeling alongside someone else. And she differentiates empathy and sympathy um, by saying that when we're talking about sympathy, we're almost kind of looking down on someone, like saying, oh, wow, that's too bad for you. Hey, you over there with that terrible experience, I feel really bad for you. Whereas empathy is about, in a sense, trying to feel what the other person is feeling, imagining yourself going through the same thing and relating from a perspective of greater equality. And, um, and so it requires a level of vulnerability, right, to, in a sense, put yourself into what can sometimes be an adverse or challenging situation to imagine how that must be for the other person. Um, of course, we're never able to fully, right, um, to fully know what someone else is going through. So it's just an approximation. It's an attempt. It's an earnest attempt to get it. And, you know, sometimes... Um, we might not really be getting it and someone even might let us know and that's okay but that earnest attempt um, and approaching it I think with just like a level of humility around it right knowing that sometimes we don't get it um, is to me what empathy is about so I think the second part of your question is like so why are we focused on empathy mm -hmm. and well, I, I believe and, and a lot of studies have shown uh, that empathy has the ability to connect individuals um, and to connect people together at a deeper level and um, relationship, you know, the importance of relationship has been shown to have impacts on our well-being and longevity. Uh, um, connection with others is shown to be one of the most critical things in terms of our well-being later into life. And empathy is really a way that we allow connection to happen. And the best way I can kind of highlight this is really by, um, yeah, if you go to a moment in time where you had a conversation with someone in your life, and maybe someone important, like a family member or a close friend, and you confided in them and you told them something that was kind of close to you or difficult to share, and you didn't get a response that made you feel good about sharing. Um, perhaps there was something judgmental they said, perhaps um, they didn't really listen to you or give you a full opportunity to share, or maybe there was some other reason why you really didn't feel validated by the conversation. And um, those experiences make us close off to other people. They make us feel like we haven't been heard. They make us feel ashamed sometimes or like we can't trust others. And, um, and that feeling is um, really a, a tough kind of feeling to sit with as humans. And I think we've all had it um, probably many times, but at least at some point or the other. And so empathy um, allows connection to really blossom and allows people to trust each other, to open up to each other, to have deep, fulfilling relationships with each other. And that you know, completely affects our mental health and our overall well-being. Yeah, no, that was a great explanation of what it is. And like you said, everyone experiences it. And I feel like you only have to experience it once to really lose either trust or whatever in the people that you're talking to. So Yeah, it's amazing, right? That just like one conversation 
where we don't feel respected, heard, understood by the other person can totally alter the trajectory of that entire relationship. Mm -hmm. That's how important um, our ability to empathize with other people is, I think. Right. One, especially, like you mentioned before, that uh, connecting with people that you don't have anything in common with is really important to be able to use the empathy with all the, like, the other groups or communities or religions or whatever. Um, so if you can't even do it with the people that you know, it'd be hard to do it with people you don't know. Yeah, it's true. Although I would say that sometimes doing it with people that you know most closely can be the toughest. <laughs> like if you think about, you know, someone you might have been in an intimate relationship with and, um, you know, you get upset over something and in that sort of course of being emotional and having a heated conversation, it can be really difficult to take that time to say, okay, I'm going to try and see it from their perspective and, uh, and see why they're feeling the way that they're feeling and put your own emotions and your own kind of needs aside and do that. So yeah, I think sometimes the relationships close to home are the best practice, but certainly, yeah, practicing empathy is also connected with um, being able to step into the shoes of someone who you're very quite distant from and have no idea what their experience is and um, and yet you're still able to be open enough to consider what things might, must, might be like for them. Right. Well, I think it's a good, like we said before, not very many charities are even focused on such like a niche emotion, which is really interesting. And so uh, Humanology is hosting the world's first Empathy Week in June in Calgary. So June 1st, right? So this year is actually our third Empathy Week in Calgary, but <laughs> Read that but <laughs> not that's cool. But Humanology was the first. Um, we're the first group to introduce this concept of Empathy Week and to run it uh, here in Calgary. So this year we've got about twenty uh, different organizations and individuals who are providing different events. Um, during Empathy Week, so it's June 1 to 7. It's always the first week of June every year, and it's really just a time where we promote and celebrate empathy, and we have like various programs for all different types of people and in all different venues across the city. So we will be posting our program um, on our website, humanology.com, by May 10. So do you want me to re-say that? Because I don't know when you're posting this, so I could... Uh, yeah, you can actually just say that it, it's it'll already. Be yeah. Okay. <laughs> so our Empathy Week program is available on our website, humanology.com. And if you click on Empathy Week, you can see the whole program of events that's taking place across the city. And most of those events are free. And um, many of them are suitable for various ages. So, um, yeah, we're really excited about Calgarians coming out to some of those events. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, uh, I hadn't heard about it before, so I'll have to check it out this year, which will be interesting. Uh, so you've produced and directed over 20 short films for Humanology. So can you just go into the process of creating them? Some like even just like the recent, recent ones you've done, uh, just the process in making those and... How that works. Yeah, sure. So uh, one of our recent films that we just finished producing is called Squaring Up, and it's about 
square dancers in Calgary and it focuses on this one particular woman, Dee, who's in her 70s and she's blind and she square dances almost every night of the week. She's amazing. So we were approached um, by a few folks from the University of Calgary and we started to work with them to understand what their objectives were with the film and because it was a film that addressed things like inclusion and community, um, some of the topics that are important to us, um, we felt like it was a good collaboration. And essentially we work with a few um, different contractors like videographers and post-production folks and we plan around their availability and um, as well as we plan around the availability of our film subjects and different events that might be happening in the community to make sure that we can capture those things. Um, so most of the time, in terms of creating a short film, it involves an interview with our primary subject, um, perhaps some additional interviews if there are some other folks who are part of the film that we'd like to chat with, and then a lot of B-roll. So the B-roll is the extra footage that you see during the film, which is what really brings the film to life. So there's a lot of filming that we'll do in different locations, um, featuring our primary subject, doing lots of different things so that we can see them as a human that is multidimensional and has these various roles and hats they wear and um, different relationships and different interests. And, uh, and then, of course, the editing process is always really where everything comes together. So that's something that even if we're contracting it out, we stay really connected to that process to make sure that the authentic voice of the person in the film is really coming through the way that it was experienced um, during the filming process. And how long does that, like, does this whole thing usually take, like from idea to finished film? It varies. Uh, it could take as little as six weeks and um, as much as six months. <laughs> and sometimes it just depends on the availability of different folks as well as, um, you know, we may be on a rushed schedule to deliver something for a client because we do a lot of work where folks come to us and say, hey, we'd like you to help us on producing these films. Um, for example, we did a film series of seven different films with the Canadian Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg, where they approached us to produce these films across Canada. So that involved quite a bit of traveling and a lot more coordinating um, and took a little bit longer to come to fruition, but um, they ended up having an exhibit at the, their national museum for about six months which featured these films and the stories of the individuals in the films, which all connected to a different human rights issue. Cool, that's awesome. Um, and if it's not for a client, like if it's more of your own film, where does it get launched? Like is there like an event or is it online or where can people find them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, it also varies, but very often we will have some kind of private event to bring together the folks that were involved in creating um, the film, uh, or we might launch it at our film festival, um, which we have annually here in Calgary. And another possible option now with the opening of our gallery and store is uh, that that might be a place where we launch some of our new films. Having said that, we also typically tend to have 
our films submitted to a bunch of film festivals. To date, we've had about um, 30 different selections and awards from film festivals all around the world for um, a number of our films. And so oftentimes, you know, we have to hold off on disseminating stuff publicly before the film has run in certain film festivals. So, yeah. So, um, and then after that, um, we like to share our stuff online so that it can be made available publicly. And recently we've been working on a few different curriculum kits. So those are teaching resources that teachers can use. The kits we've been working on are geared at students in grades 9 to 12. And with those kits, we're integrating into them a lot of our film resources so that they are, in a sense, repurposed and um, reutilized in an educational context. Right. Oh, that's awesome. Well, and especially because it's all of Canada, so like the people that want to use them or the resources, it's endless, really. (laughs) Yeah, and that's one of the great things, too, about a lot of our content is that most of it is not really just applicable to Calgary or just even applicable just nationally, but it sort of has that universality to it. A lot of the things that we're talking about and dealing with are issues that people can connect with in many different places. Right. I guess if it's humans, then (laughs) all humans can connect to it. (laughs) Um, And let's just talk about the business side for just a second, um, since it's a business-focused podcast. So since becoming the CEO, what have you learned about yourself and as a leader? I'm sure there's a lot of, because you're so focused on empathy, I'm sure you're very like self-aware of it. So Jonah, just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well... As a person and a leader, I think, yeah, in a way, I um, don't have a whole lot of separation between myself and my world. And for sure, being and working in an area uh, connected to empathy, it's very much connected to self-awareness, right? Um, Because I don't think that we can consistently as individuals be successful with empathy if we don't have a level of self-awareness ourselves and a level for example of comfort with our own emotions if you're not comfortable with certain emotions yourself it makes it hard for you to really receive someone else's Um, so in that space of self-awareness I think there can um, come a time where you become aware of the fact that you might be reflecting a little too much or more than you need to about things. Um, and, and, and within that, we can also become quite critical of ourselves and we can hone in on the areas where maybe we shouldn't have made that decision or perhaps you know um, responded to a situation in a particular way. And then there's all of that kind of internal dialogue and assessment we have over things that we have maybe done or said. So for me, I think, yeah, one of my learnings for sure is just, in a sense, um, making sure I don't give too much runtime to some of that commentary and also making sure that that commentary is fair and is um, empathetic itself because one of the terms we've started using a little more is self-empathy and so often you know it's easy to talk about what we can extend to others um, but we also need to look at what we're extending to ourselves so um, yeah so just looking at that internal piece in terms of like the self-talk and 
when you are more prone to reflection or to perfectionism, being aware of you know how that can be advantageous for sure, but it can also be a detriment in some ways. So just having that awareness really, yeah. Right. Well, like you said, it's, it can be applied to like being a leader, but also just a person exactly. in general. <laughs> yeah, it really comes into everything, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and what are some of the challenges that you face like with the business or that the business has faced over the last few years? Do you ever um, have challenges when you like pick a topic and you are diving deep into it? Do you ever have like resistance or is there anything like that that comes up? Um, we've been really fortunate to have a very supportive group of people around us. Like, for example, as a charity, we have a board of directors who have been so open and supportive um, throughout our development as an organization. Um, for me, I think the main thing that I would identify as a struggle would simply be finding the financial support that we need in order to make the impact that we want to have and finding that consistently and not spending so much of our resources on finding it that then it becomes a disadvantage to the rest of our work that we're trying to accomplish. And that is you know, one of the key struggles of any not-for-profit organization. Um, we are happy we've had the opportunity to start this social enterprise our um, new gallery and store where we're selling stuff and all of the profits come back into our organization to help us continue to do our work so that's great to have a new revenue stream that we're a little more in control of that's a little more consistent and that can go towards some of our operating requirements but we're still very much reliant on donors and grant funding and those things can be inconsistent. Um, they can also be really difficult to ascertain when you're a not-for-profit that's not doing frontline work. And you know, being that we're doing stuff around empathy and inclusion, um, while we think it's critical and so important to the health of individuals in our communities, um, there's a lot of people out there who would say, "Well, you know, I I I think that there's other things that are." are you know, more important that we need to be focusing our funding dollars on, so, which is not unfair. Right. Oh, interesting. I mean, like, I guess that's with any, I'm sure every charity has that with people's opinions and things like that. Um, let me know where this fits in in your uh, career, but I read when I was going through reading about you in the business that you hiked for 1,200 kilometers through Europe to raise awareness um, for people and that you also do half marathons and you ran a full marathon. Do you want to talk about, I don't want to say, it seems harsh to just ask why, but to ask like, why you chose to do that um, and how fitness has played a part in your life then and now. Well, I love that question about like, fitness or exercise and how it's played a role in my life because in a way it was one of the most defining things that I um, that kind of came into my life when I was a younger person. I was super brainy and not at all physically coordinated when I was like, you know, maybe like 10, 11, 12. And it really bothered me because I wanted to be really good at everything. And so when I got into uh, grade eight, I decided, I tried out for a whole bunch of teams and I didn't get into any of them and I was so devastated. And I went to this high school where um, in Australia, 
where a lot of kids who were really great athletes went there. So it was pretty competitive. So I decided to sign up for a field hockey team that I didn't have to um, try out for. They accepted the everyone. It was very <laughs> inclusive. Um, and, um, and for the next couple of years, I literally practiced like a maniac. I was obsessed. And, and I, I also had asthma at the time. And it was quite bad and I found it difficult sometimes to like run 800 meters and over the course of the next few years when I got better at field hockey my skills improved but I was also able to run longer distances and by the time I was in grade 10 I got selected for like the, the first or the A grade team at my school and it, it, it sounds super trivial especially now that I talk about it like you know I don't know like 25 years later but it was such a huge thing for me because it was something that I was pretty terrible at that I really applied myself and got somewhere with it and um, and also it changed my ability to move with my body and to ex- my experience of my own body to the extent where I started running cross country and um, was running competitively through the rest of my high school years um, long distance running. So yeah, that really shifted how I felt about myself ultimately and what I thought was possible as well and kind of took me out of this box of feeling like that brainy nerdy kid. Um, And when I finished high school, I went into kinesiology and I also became an aerobics instructor. This was a while back. And, um, and, you know, my, one of my first jobs when I came to Canada was with um, Sports Experts, which was with the Frizzani Group. Um, so it kind of really reoriented my focus and my life and my feeling of myself. And, and while that hasn't really remained a direct focus in all areas of my life, it, there, it's always somehow... Um, been something important and about a decade ago I did a yoga teacher training and taught yoga for many years and um, and then of course I had this love for this hiking trail in Spain the Camino de Santiago so my uh, you know time walking there has really been a type of therapy for me and I think a lot of exercise and a lot of stuff that we do with our bodies whether we realize it or not is some kind of therapy it allows us to release emotion sometimes aggression or anger if it's competitive um, I think you know, moving our bodies is really very healing and we all have sort of propensities to do it in different ways and for me walking strangely has been one of those ways that I've been really attracted to particularly when you have the chance to do it in a way where you're traveling somewhere carrying all of your stuff um, I recently like just this weekend had a massage with a new therapist for the first time and he said have you carried a backpack a lot <laughs> and I was like um yeah I think so <laughs> but um yeah so just carrying all of your belongings and feeling really light and unencumbered you know it's not something that I get to feel a whole lot in my daily life uh, burdened by you know the way that most of us live with all of our stuff and all of our kind of needs and necessities so I've just found it very freeing I suppose um yeah is that Kind of, yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a perspective into some of the craziness. Yeah, 
Um, but yeah, the walk that I did from Switzerland to Spain was um, an opportunity as well to uh, do something um, where I could bring some attention at that time. The Syrian refugee crisis was happening, but not a lot of people were aware of it at that particular moment in time. And so when I did the walk, I asked people to sponsor me um, for every kilometer that I walked, that they would commit a certain amount of time, like in seconds, for example, that they would spend um, looking into what was going on in the world in terms of the displacement of, you know, at that time it was around 60 million people um so that was just sort of a way to I suppose make my walk have a little bit more meaning and mm-hmm. um and get some people in my life to um connect with some of the resources that I was finding that were making me feel like we weren't really responding enough right. yeah I like it it's a different way to do it I guess and to be like I'm gonna walk this far you can at least go on the internet and read things like you know it puts it all into perspective and I guess the thing for me is that so often when people think of social change work they think that they have to go out and do something that's really disconnected to what they're already doing especially if people say are working in a corporate um, realm in a corporate realm or uh, something like that and I guess I feel like the best way to approach it is to think about what fits in with who I am and what I'm already doing and how can I integrate this into what I'm already passionate about so that I can continue to be me and do this and not have to reinvent myself or do twice as much in order to make it happen right and then still enjoy it as well yeah yeah I like it um do you want to walk us through just like a day in the life of you uh because I know you have the new store now and but we're here at your house, so do you want to just walk us through like kind of what you do? It's really not that exciting. <laughs> I have a 16-month-old daughter, so a lot of my day now revolves around her. And uh, so even when I get to wake up in the morning, it's not exactly a choice. Um, but yeah, we spend the mornings at home, and then we I take her to childcare for a couple of hours. And while she's playing, I... Uh, work on my computer we come home she naps I continue to work she wakes up we have a couple of hours in the afternoon together where we um, hang out we might go to a park or some somewhere else depend dependent on the weather and uh, and then typically then I spend a few hours at our gallery store location in the afternoon before I come home and then bath time bedtime and then the evening hours sometimes I'm doing a bit of work but sometimes it's an opportunity for me to relax and unwind. So that's kind of what a weekday looks like for me. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty it packed sounds, in. Yeah, it sounds yeah. busy, but also you spend a good amount of time with your daughter, which is yeah, awesome. and which is really important to me, and I feel super privileged to be able to work, um, to do work where I have the opportunity to still remain connected to my daughter during the day think that that's something that we really don't have enough of and when we become parents it's sort of an either or decision at a certain period of time for most people so to not have to have made that decision is something that I feel so incredibly grateful for it's it's a difficult balancing act sometimes uh, and I think sometimes it creates more stress trying to do both but for me personally it's really worth it yeah well I'm sure 
she might not appreciate it right now. She might not remember, but she'll appreciate it as she grows up. <laughs> well, and I think it's just something for me to where I don't know if I'll have another child and this might be my only chance to really enjoy this time with her. And after the fact, you know, I'd hate to look back and think, I should have done it differently like I should have spent more time with her I think that's something you can never get back you can always work more at your job after the (laughs) fact I think but I don't think you can go back and really right like have those experiences that are lost yeah yeah definitely um and is there a podcast or book that you'd recommend to listeners besides your own resources that exist <laughs> like peeking over to my bookshelf <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> most of the books that I read at the moment are appropriate for um you know one to two year olds <laughs> I uh, and and funny one of the books that we have so this is what I'm going to mention that we're actually selling at our store is called baby present and one of my colleagues uh, read it the other day and she said oh, this is deep. She's like, this book should be for adults. And it's just like a kind of cardboard picture book. And I know it by heart now because I've read it so many times to my daughter, but it starts off just saying, breathe in, breathe out. Like, and it basically says stuff like, you're perfect just as you are sitting in the here and now. And of course, each line has a different picture of a baby. So, um, yeah, I'm not really sure if I would recommend grown adults to go out and buy a (laughs) coffee, but there's definitely something profound in the message. (laughs) I like it. I think you're the first person to recommend a child's book. People should read them. I think, you know, there's lessons we all need to be reminded of. (laughs) Um, And what's next for humanology? Is there any, like, projects for people to look forward to? Empathy Week is coming up. Yeah, so we're really excited about Empathy Week. Again, that's June 1 through 7. And uh, we're also going to be hosting a whole lot more events at our gallery and store just off 17th Avenue Southwest. Uh, One of those events that's coming up during Empathy Week, actually, June the 5th, is the launch of our Hello Strangers series. So inside our space, we have an installation of um, two really cool acrylic chairs Uh, that are sitting over top of a painted floor mural that we had created by a local artist, Alex Kwong, that says, Hello Stranger. And the intent is that people will sit down in those chairs and they have the option to do one of three things. So one, they could sit and have two minutes of silent eye contact with someone else, which (laughs) sounds easy, but you're already laughing and probably awkward. Yeah, Yeah, and I think for a lot of people it is pretty awkward. but it's also really revealing and interesting. Right. <laughs> and um, and then the second option is to sit down with someone that you don't know and have a conversation. And the third option is to um, have a difficult conversation. So the Hello Stranger installation is something that we're trying to bring a little bit more engagement with. And our first event is going to be a conversation series with a couple of local Calgary social entrepreneurs and then we'll also have um, some time where people can kind of do what's similar to speed dating except it's um, not necessarily with the intent of hooking up with someone (laughs) although it could result in that Um, but basically where people will have the chance to spend three to four minutes having a chat with someone that they don't know and then they'll get to switch so that event is happening um, June 5th. We'll have more details on our website soon. 
and also we are hosting the Unity Project, which is an urban art canopy of yarn uh, that will be built by the community uh, the weekend of June 1 and 2 at CM Lock Park, which is probably, no one knows where that <laughs> is, but you probably pass by it. It's, it's just on the south side of the river by the Center Street Bridge, so it's pretty close to Eau Claire. It's between Eau Claire and East Village. And we've run the Unity Project um, for a couple of years in Calgary, and it's actually been run in cities all over the world. And the idea is that people take a piece of yarn and they thread it around these poles, and each pole has a different identifier on it. So, like, it might be something like, um, I'm a single mom, um, I am an immigrant, um, English is my second language or um, I have children, and you take your yarn and basically um, as it moves around the poles, it gets pushed up and it creates this kind of really cool colorful canopy that just shows how we're different but how we're also connected. So um, yeah, Saturday, Sunday, June 1 and June 2, we will be at that park <laughs> um, close to Chinatown and we'd love for people to stop by and it's really a great family event as well. And, uh, and then coming into the fall, we're gonna be involved with some of the Pride events and then we'll also have a bunch of different things happening from our Humanology Gallery and Store space, like some um, meditation, as well as a couple different workshops. Um, we've got a Brené Brown facilitator who's gonna be joining us for some workshops. We're also planning a workshop about um, makeup and uh, talking to some people who've gone makeup free, as well as looking into some cruelty-free, uh, vegan, natural brands, and, uh, and just, yeah, having a little bit of discussion around that because, um, yeah, I know uh, being a, a woman and for myself a little bit of a girly girl, sometimes I wonder how much time will have accumulated at the end of my life that I spent putting on makeup and oh making it off. <laughs> <laughs> Too much to even think about. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's a really, um, you know, it's a pretty significant sort of thing that we spend time doing right so we we just want to have some conversation around it but yeah we're really excited about the future of humanology and we're always open to receiving support and support can look like following us on instagram so our instagram is at spread empathy yyc and uh, it could look like coming to one of our events volunteering with us and we've got lots of different ways that people can volunteer um, it doesn't have to be a significant time commitment and uh, support can also look like giving us a donation um, and you can do that online at Canada Helps um, or by connecting with us. So our email is hello at humanology.com and probably wondering how the heck to spell <laughs> humanology. Oh, it's not easy. H-U-M-A-I-N-O-L-O-G-I-E. Yeah. <laughs> and I will link the, all that below awesome. in case <laughs> okay, you forgot how perfect. to spell it. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be there for everyone to find. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing everything. That was an awesome You're conversation. Welcome. I feel like it's thanks. so different than usually what people are talking about. So I liked it. <laughs> great. Thanks for having me.